of Christ be with you guys. I got to tell you, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I first met EC, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. My name's Charlie, and uh, I, I'm at Oaks Parish, which is one of your sister churches. We're up in inner northeast Portland, Selwood area, and I've been there for about two years, for about a year part-time, and then a year full-time, and I, but I first met EC just before I came to Oaks Parish. I was on staff at another church in Portland, a church called Imago Day. It's a church that partnered with churches in our presbytery to actually launch Oaks Parish. And I was with a friend from Imago Day at a restaurant in town, and I looked over at the next table, and there was Brian Buck, the senior pastor at Oaks Parish, that I knew because we helped to at Imago Day helped to launch Brian to plant Oaks Parish. And he was sitting with all these other guys that I didn't know. And they were being loud, and they were like the loudest table in the restaurant. And there was one guy in particular at that table that was the loudest person at the loudest table. And I looked over, and I'm thinking, who, who are these guys? These must be guys from Brian's church. And I walked over, I said, hey, to Brian. And Brian goes, Charlie, you got to meet my friends. These are the other pastors from the, our partnering PCA churches in the area. And he goes through, and he introduces me to each one, and he gets to the loud, loud guy, and it's EC. He says, hi, I'm EC Bell. And I said, your name, what's your name? He said, EC, it's my initials. And I thought, I, I thought, man, this, this guy is, uh, uh, how do I want to say this? <laughs> he, he was filled with confidence. He looked right at me. His voice was loud. He shook my hand, and I was thinking, I was thinking, man, who is this guy? <laughs> and immediately he asked me a question about the church that I was at. Asked me a question about my ministry. Started telling me about what was going on with their churches. Immediately. And I walked away from that and I thought, man, these guys don't know me from Adam. And I'm at this other church that's not a part of their denomination. That I'm an outsider to them. But that guy just treated me like a brother. And he's never met me. I like that guy. And since then, every single time I've spent time with EC, it's been a similar experience. Strong personality, confident, bold, looks you right in the eye, and he treats me, and I'm guessing he treats you the same way, like peers and like brothers. And me being the new guy, I've only been at Oaks Parish about two years, so I'm kind of the new guy in the group of pastors in our family of churches here. He's never treated me like the new guy. He's always treated me like like a fellow soldier, like a brother. And that means so much to me. So I am so thankful to be here preaching in EC's pulpit to his people. And I would like to welcome you as a brother. And I'm just so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. I, um, like I said, I, I've been at Oaks Parish about two years. And just before... I started at Oaks Parish. My wife and I had an opportunity to do something that we didn't know if we'd ever get to do in Portland. We got to buy a little house. We bought this little house, this little tiny place out in East Portland, almost to Gresham. And we, we moved in January of 2017. And when we moved in, we, I was so proud. This is, we're not renting. We own this place. We did it. We bought a house in Portland. This is amazing. God has blessed us. And 
you know, I start learning what it means to be a homeowner and taking care of my place. And when it started, the, the spring started to come, the grass out front was all green, this beautiful little lawn, and started to grow. So I went proudly as a young homeowner to Home Depot and bought a little push reel mower because we go green at our house. Also because the yard's so small that like a full-size mower would have been ridiculous. So I go out and I get this little push reel mower and I start mowing my lawn. And it was, I looked forward to mowing my lawn every single weekend. I wasn't mowing my dad's lawn. I wasn't mowing my landlord's lawn. I was mowing my lawn. God said, cultivate the earth, and that's what I was doing. I was cultivating my land. So every weekend, I'm out there. And then spring turns to summer. And if you remember, last summer was a lot like this one. It's hot, it's dry, and I don't even think we made it to June, and my grass goes from green and lush to brown and stops growing. And I, I, I went out with my push drill mower and tried to mow it like three or four times before I realized that we're not doing anything. It's brown grass. It's not growing. And I was sort of personally offended. I was taking care of my land as God's agent cultivating the, cultivating the earth, and it turns brown on me. And I was disappointed. Late in the summer, I went to a cookout at my friend Jeff's house. And uh, we, we go to Jeff's house, and Jeff is a little bit older than me, a little bit more experienced, and we go into his yard, and his grass is all lush, green, it's beautiful. People are walking around with their shoes off. There's like little babies and toddlers out with their parents in the grass. It's like a green grass wonderland. And because Jeff's a little older than me, a little experienced, I was thinking, I need to know, I need to glean from Jeff's homeowner wisdom here. I need to know the secret to Jeff's lawn. So I stroll right up to Jeff. You know, he's like by the grill, classic cookout situation. And I'm up there and I go, Jeff, man, you got to tell me your secret. Look at your grass. This is beautiful. I'm just blowing all kinds of smoke at Jeff about his grass. And I say, man, tell me your secret. What is it? Jeff doesn't even look at me. He just sort of smiles, looks down, and says one word. Can you guess what it is? Water. I felt about this big. I was so proud of my push reel mower. I was so proud of my lawn. I was so proud to be a homeowner. I didn't, I forgot, it never occurred to me to water my grass. It turns out that the way that God designed the world, if you simply water grass, most of the time it grows full, green, and lush. If you want to get theological about it, you could say that in general, according to God's good design, the practice of watering your lawn becomes the instrument by which God does the miracle of turning your grass from brown to green. You can't make your grass turn green. There's no magic formula. You can't do what I was looking for. I was thinking, which Home Depot do I need to go to and buy that secret lawn formula to make it just magically turn green. You can't do that. You can't make it turn green, but you can take up the practice of watering it. And when you do that, God uses watering as the instrument to do a miracle in your lawn. Well, some of you are smiling at me because you know where I'm going with this, and you're probably right. You, you can't make your heart alive to the things of God. You can't, you know, you've been walking, even if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, we all go through seasons where 
the lawn of our heart, so to speak, starts to turn brown and we, God seems to seem so far away, our faith seems to feel just rote, like we're going through the motions, and we wonder, what's the magic formula? What's the secret prayer? What conference do I need to go to? What do I need to do in order to snap back into life? And the truth is, there's no quick fix. But you can take up certain practices that God uses as instruments most of the time, in general, to turn the grass of your heart from brown to green. Some of those practices are like prayer, coming to church. Well, today I want to talk to you about one of those practices that we often forget about. I forgot about watering my lawn. Well, we often forget about many of these practices God has given us that help to cultivate our hearts before Him. So today I want to talk to you about the practice of preaching gospel to yourself. Preaching gospel to yourself. I say preaching because I'm not just talking about contemplation or personal reflection. I'm talking about actually actively proclaiming something to yourself. It's, I'm standing before you. We're not just contemplating. I'm proclaiming to you. So preaching, and I say gospel because I'm not just talking about spiritual truths. I'm talking about proclaiming to yourself good news about who God is, who you are, what's going on in the world. And what we see in the scriptures is when you take up the practice of preaching gospel to yourself according to God's good design, by and large, most of the time, he uses that as an instrument to cultivate life in your heart. Okay, Charlie, I'm in. How do we do it? How do I preach gospel to myself? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have a perfect example of how to do it, maybe the best example in all of Scripture and how to do it in Psalm 103. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. 103 is in between 102 and 104. Thanks. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it. And it's gone. In its place it knows no more. But 
The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Psalm 103, preaching the gospel to yourself. We just read it. It's a perfect example of how this works. David, king of Israel, wrote this. David is preaching the gospel to himself. Here in this psalm, we're going to go through it. I'm going to draw out four things for you to remember when it comes to preaching gospel to yourself. So if you're a note taker like I am, you can go ahead and number your paper one through four. And we're going to walk through them together. Preaching gospel to yourself. First thing. Okay, who was David talking to in this psalm? It's okay to talk. I don't know if you talk back to EC, but you could talk back to me. His soul. That's right. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, that sounds like holy language. And so oftentimes when we come across things that sound flowery and holy in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, we just blow right through them. So you have to kind of slow down to catch it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. David is talking to his soul. This is not a prayer. He's not addressing his subjects. He's addressing himself. So the first thing you need to do to preach the gospel to yourself, write in your paper, number one, call yourself to attention. Call yourself to attention. Well, Charlie, that sounds a little basic. That's because it is. But it's, it might be a little bit more complicated than you think. See, because when David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, I'm willing to bet that the way that you hear that, the way that I heard it the first time, it's like he's addressing the spiritual part of himself, right? Because here in the West, when we think about what a soul is, that's what it is. That's, your soul is the spiritual part of yourself. So it's like David saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's like he's, his mind and his body, he's, he's saying, wake up spiritual self. And we do that when we come into worship, don't we? We come into worship and we stand here and we, we, we try to like find the spiritual part of ourselves and get, get it to wake up, right? Well, that's what we do and that's just fine. But the idea of the soul being the spiritual part of yourself actually doesn't come from Hebrew thinking. That comes from Greek philosophy. And David was 100% unfamiliar with Greek philosophy. But he was familiar and steeped in in new Hebrew philosophy and Hebrew thinking. And in Hebrew thinking, your soul is not the spiritual part of yourself. It's something different than that. It's something more than that. The first place that we find it in the scriptures where it's talking about a human being, that's actually the best place to find a definition for it. It's in Genesis 2.7. And it's during the creation story and God's, we're reading about how God created the world and we get to this part and God's going to create 
Adam, the first man. And Genesis 2.7 says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. The Hebrew word there is nephesh. In fact, in Hebrew, it says the word, the man became nephesh. So what's nephesh? What's soul? Let me read it again. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. So God made Adam's body. And then the Lord God breathed the breath of life into him. That's like the spiritual part of Adam. And then altogether, Adam becomes a living soul. Out here in Greek philosophy land, where we tend to live, the soul is the spiritual part of yourself. But in biblical Hebrew thinking, the soul is so much more than that. It is your body made intentionally by God that's been filled with life by Him. It's your physical self, your spiritual self, your whole entire being is your soul. So when David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, he goes on to clarify what he means by that by stating it again with different words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless His holy name. He is calling Himself to attention. You know why this is so important? Because we tend to prefer compartmentalized life. We tend to like to keep our physical, everyday, nine-to-five world right here and our spiritual Sunday morning, personal quiet time, Bible reading, Christian talk radio world over here. And we don't like the two mixing. But when we stand before God and when we're living life quorum Deo before the face of God, and we start to grow cold to the things of God, the, the grass in our heart, so to speak, starts to turn brown. Part of that's because we're trying to live this dualistic life. And we need to call ourselves back to attention. Well, Charlie, that's great, but how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we have an opportunity to do it every Sunday when we gather here. That's why before I got up to preach, we sang a whole bunch of songs. I used to come into church and I used to stand there and listen to the music, let it wash over me, and just wait until there was a certain song or a certain note or something that lit up the spiritual part of myself. And I'd think, okay, now I can worship. No. We don't come in here to listen to music. We come in here to sing music. And when you sing, you are breathing in and pushing out air out of your body. And the spiritual part of yourself hears from your body what's true. And because it's music, it tends to bypass all that inner skepticism. And when you have the boldness to pick up a worship God, stand up and just sing the best you can, what happens is God uses that practice as an instrument to call you to attention. So, we're watering the lawn of our heart. First thing you got to do, first thing to know, call yourself to attention. Okay, second thing. If you're a note taker, this, you write this next to number two. Tell yourself who God is. Tell yourself who God is. Look with me at the text. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. A couple years ago, as I like to run for exercise. You know, there's a difference between someone who likes to run and a runner, right? Right. A runner competes, and they're like real serious about it. Well, I just like to run. Uh, I don't do races. I'm not really competitive. I just like to get out there and just run for exercise. Well, I I realized a number of years ago that when I was running, I I listened to worship music, or I'd sometimes use that time to pray, and I realized I was calling myself to attention, using my body, using my mind before God, And so in order to kind of foster that practice, I memorized these first four verses of Psalm 103. And I would recite them out loud when I ran. So it was a practice of calling myself to attention. I'd be out running, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all this within me, bless his holy name. And after a few weeks of doing this, I opened my Bible back up again to Psalm 103. And I used the ESV and I realized I had memorized it wrong. I was saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life. And, and I looked back and I saw that it was who. And I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so it really bugged me. So what I did is I started looking for a translation that would say he, so I could still memorize. And there's a couple out there, but the wording on other parts was different. So I, I got so frustrated and it bothered me so much that I fired up my computer, pulled up a commentary, pulled up, pulled up. I had the privilege of going to seminary, so I know a little bit about Hebrew, and pulled up the Hebrew text. I'm looking, okay, is it he or is it who? What is it? And I realized that in the Hebrew, there's not formally a he or a who. Those sentences just start with the verbs. Forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases. And I was like, well, how are we supposed to know? So I started looking at these verbs, and I see that they're all verbs in the form of a present participle. Now, I do have a master's degree, but I didn't know what a present participle was. So I, had, so I Googled that. So now I'm like three steps into research here. I'm committed to finding this out. I found out that a present participle is when you use a verb as an adjective or a noun, but mostly as an adjective. We do this in English when we add ing to the end of a verb and then we use it to describe something. So, for example, I like to run. So you run is a verb. You could say that I am the running, present participle, man. I'm the running man. Not like the Janet Jackson dance, but like someone who likes to run for exercise. So, present participle. So what it's saying is, I went back to the text, I looked at it, I was like, okay, maybe I can make sense of this. And something hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm going to exaggerate the present, part of, present participle part of this, so maybe it hits you too. And, and this, is, this is the way it's translated if you, if you sort of highlight the participle. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. Concerning your iniquity, he is the forgiving one. Concerning your um, diseases, he's the healing one. Concerning your life in the pit, 
He's the redeeming one. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. This is not giving a list of the benefits of, of, of blessing God, the things that he does for you. You know, when you get a new job and somebody says, well, what are the benefits like? You start telling them the things that the company does for you. Well, they provide health insurance. They provide this many vacation days. That's not what's going on here. David is not listing the things God does for him. He is listing attributes of who God is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. Do you want to know who he is? He's the forgiving one. He's the healing one. He's the redeeming one. That changes everything. In life, we tend to... We know if... If you're in a, re, a relationship with, with, with if, if you're married or you, you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or even if you just have a really close friend or a sibling that you do life with, then you probably already know that you should never confuse what someone does for you with who they are. That gets you in big trouble quick, isn't it? But we do that with God all the time. Let me give you an example. Something about me. Um... I'm low vision, I'm visually impaired, disabled. I have a vision disability. That's why I wear these super cool red glasses. I'm not trying to be, well, I am trying to be hip, but it has nothing to do with my glasses. Um, and I have a complex series of vision disorders, and it's a big part of my life. It's a big part of me and my wife Becca's life together. It really affects the way we live. And a number of years ago, I was on this journey going from doctor to doctor, trying to figure out what's going on. And I was really struggling, struggling with the identity of actually saying out loud that I was disabled. I didn't like the way that sounded. Struggling every day with chronic pain that's related to that. Still struggle with that. Struggling with difficulty getting through life, adjusting my lifestyle. And during that time, I, had, I would pray for healing all the time. And just so you know, I still pray for healing. I believe that God heals. I believe in miracles. Why not? He's my father. So I'd ask him, Lord, would you heal me? Would you heal me? Would you heal me? I had some friends and some, even some people I didn't know come up and ask me, can we, can we pray for you that God would heal you? Yeah, sure. And every single time we would pray and I'd get all hyped up. I'd get my expectations up. I'd believe, 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 and then I'd pray, and then I'd open my eyes, and it was just back to me. And it, I, went, I got to the point, someone would come up, and say, can I pray that you'd be healed? I would think, oh, please don't. Let's just not talk about it. And during that time, I learned a couple lessons. The first one is this. I belong to Jesus. That means one day, you're on this side of the resurrection or on the other side. I will be healed. And I can trust that. But in the meantime, I have something better than just getting my eyes fixed. I have a personal relationship with the God who is healing. What happened is I learned that, the, that my vision disability and the pain and the frustration, it would drive me to my knees regularly. It would cause me to reach out for God and cause my mind to, to look to Jesus and to cry out for his spirit over and over and over again. 
And I wanted God to do something for me. And he answered me with, I'll tell you what, instead of me just doing something for you, how about you get to experience who I am? And I learned that my God heals all my diseases. And there are things that are diseased in me that are worse than a vision disability. And by his grace, he has used my messed up eyeballs in order to heal me in ways I never thought I needed healing. So I got to call myself to attention. God helped me to do that by letting me live with some pain. Maybe he's doing that to you. And then by what he was doing in my life, I was reminded continually, not what he does, but who he is. So practice calling yourself to attention. Tell yourself who God is. Okay. Call yourself to attention. What's next? Tell yourself who God is. Good. Okay, the next one. Tell yourself who you are. Tell yourself who you are. That's number three. Okay, look with me again at the text. Look at verse 14. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place it knows no more. Who are we? Dust. What a downer. So I was studying for this and I was all excited about finding that thing about you know, who God is, not just what he does. So I got to this part and I thought, dust. Oh man, that's, what a downer. So I went back to the Hebrew. Maybe I could find something else cool to help pep this sermon up. And it turns out that the Hebrew word for dust is afar. You know what it means? It means dust. There's nothing cool there. But it's dust. It's pretty stark. But in the process, I did see something cool. It's that the first time Afar is used in the Bible is Genesis 2, 7. The same place, the first place we find Nephesh's soul. The Lord God formed man from the dust, Afar of the ground, breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living soul. Here's why that's important. Some of you already know that you're dust. You don't need to be reminded. You wake up in the morning, and as soon as you become conscious of where you are in time and space, you're waking up, your feet hit the ground, and you know immediately, oh, another day. Here we go again. I'm in pain. I don't like my life. What's the meaning of all this? And we exaggerate, we joke, because how else are we going to deal with it? Some of you know that you're dust. You probably need to stop telling yourself that you're dust, if you already know it deeply, and tell yourself the other thing this verse says, or that Genesis 2-7 says, that you're dust that's been breathed into by the breath of God and brought to life. You might know that you're dust, but you need to remember and tell yourself that God in all of his glory, has bent down, kissed you on the mouth, and brought you to life. 
Some of you need to tell yourself who you are, that you have been brought to life and kissed by the mouth of God. Others of you know that you've been kissed by the mouth of God. Others of you have no problem knowing that you are worth something amazing. It says that, that our, we're like grass and our flourishing is like the flower of the field and you think that you are the most beautiful flower. Now, if you're wondering whether or not this one is you, just ask your friends and family. They'll tell you. So if that's you, maybe you need to remind yourself that you are dust, that you're here and you're gone and that the world doesn't revolve around you. Now, I know you've probably heard that before, but do you tell yourself that? It seems a little basic. That's because it is. You know what else is basic? Standing there with a hose and watering your lawn. It's not fancy. But in God's design, this is, this is how we live before him and, and work to stay sensitive to the things of God because we tend to want to hide from that. Okay, so what's the first thing? Water the lawn of your heart. Number one, call, call yourself to attention. Number two, Tell yourself who God is. Number three, tell yourself who you are. Okay, number four, last one. Look at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, or repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Okay, we've told ourselves who God is. We've told ourselves who we are. Now it's time to tell ourselves what God does. Number four, tell yourself what God does for his people. Tell yourself what God does for his people. David uses three images here to illustrate. Well, let me, let me back up. What, according to this verse, what does God do for his people? He shows mercy. I think I heard somebody say it. He separates our sins from us. Yeah. That's what he does. He's in the business of doing that. He loves doing that. And when he separates his, our sins from us, that you know how much he separates our sins from us? Well, David uses three images. As far as heaven is from earth, you know how far that is? It's not a real distance. It's incomprehensible. As far as east is from west, how far is east from west? Yeah, it's not a real distance. It's incomprehensible. How much does a good father love his children? You can't name it. That's how far God removes your sin from you. So when we go back and he forgives our iniquity, well, how much does he forgive us? Well, it's not a real distance. It's not a real, it's immeasurable. David is going on and on using images, exalting God because he does amazing things. But if we would have started with the things that God does, we would get all mixed up on trying to figure out who he is and who we are. It works like a telescope. It's 
got these different lenses and you got to get the lenses lined up. And then like the first lens is uh, tell yourself who God is. This, 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 well, that's, I know we're, I'm skipping. You're with me. Okay. The next one, tell yourself who you are. And then, and then when you talk about what God does, you look through it and now everything's clear and everything else about life just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why the psalm ends with David his song just getting more and more grand, more and more off the rails. Listen to this. His steadfast love, everlasting to everlasting. He's established his throne. It's in heaven. He rules over all. He's blessed by angels, not just us. He's blessed by the armies of heaven. They do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, all places of his dominion. David's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you call yourselves to attention, tell yourself who God is, tell yourself who you are, and then tell yourself what God has done, all of a sudden you become aware that God is much bigger than you thought. You become aware that the grass around you in your heart is starting to turn green. Okay, some of you are looking at me kind of funny. Because I've left the whole part out. Do you know what? It, I'm not going to ask you because I don't want you to ruin it for all the people around you. Because I've been telling you to talk back to me. Okay, we'll, we'll get to it with this question. How did David know all this stuff? How did David know like what to preach to himself? There's a clue in verse 7. Is it because David's a Bible hero? No. Verse 7, he made known, God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David knew all of this stuff two ways. He had a copy of Moses' book. God had made himself known to Moses. God reveals himself. He revealed himself to Moses. Moses, Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. David would have had a copy of that. David's reading his Bible and finding out who God is, finding out who he is, finding out what God does. Okay, that's the first thing he knew because of Moses, because he was reading his Bible. And he also knew because God had done mighty acts and done wonderful things for his people, Israel. And David was a member of that covenant community. David knew all this stuff because God reveals himself. He reveals himself here. And every week when we do this, somebody stands up here and preaches from here. God's revealing himself. He's illuminating what he's already said. Okay? So that's how David knew all this stuff. So Charlie, what's the point? And how are you going to get to that thing you're leaving out? Well, because God has revealed himself here, we commit ourselves to reading it. And you commit yourself to reading it, and guess what happens? Eventually you get to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, which says that in many times and in many ways, God spoke, he revealed himself, to the prophets. That's Moses. But in these last days, that's today, he has spoken by his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, Charlie, now we're preaching gospel. He's spoken by his son, Jesus. Okay, so how did David know what to say? 
He's looking at Moses. He's looking at what God's doing in the world through his people. So how do you know what to say? How do I know what to say? Well, we look at the one that made the claim that everything Moses wrote was ultimately about him. We look at Jesus Christ. And we don't just do it by ourselves. We do it together as a covenant community. And here's what happens. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, both the author and the perfecter of your faith, you take up the practice of calling yourself to attention, of telling yourself who God is, who he has revealed himself to be here, here every week, but ultimately in Jesus Christ. And then you tell yourself what God does. Well, what does he do? Well, he separates our sins from us. How? Because he laid them on Jesus. And you preach that to yourself? What if when you woke up in the morning, that first, oh, I'm awake, was replaced with Jesus? Jesus. Wake up, Charlie. Jesus is Lord. Tell yourself who God is. Wake up, Charlie. Jesus is with you. Tell yourself who you are. Wake up, Charlie. Jesus has died and resurrected so that you could come to life and be free and be filled. Tell yourself what God does. Now, I promise you, if you have the courage to get out there, pick up a hose, and start watering the lawn of your heart, you watch what God does. I guarantee you, you're going to be shocked when you find yourself shoes off with all of your heart dancing and rejoicing, dancing in the sprinkler, rejoicing before him, proclaiming with all of your heart, bless the Lord, oh my soul, his throne is in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Let's pray. Lord God, how unfathomable, how unsearchable, how unimaginable is your glory. At the same time, your gospel, your story can be understood by a little child. Oh my goodness. Praise the Lord. Bless you, oh God. Pray that all that is within us in this time, with all of our hearts, would be open before you. Would you do the miracle of turning us from brown to green, calling us to life once again before you, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Amen.